And now, do you like Prince movies? Hello. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Do You Like Prince Movies. I'm Alex Papadimus. I'm Wesley Morris, and I'm looking at you. It's weird. I'm staring right at you. We're actually, without a screen in between us. That... Well, we didn't do it last week with the screen. No, but we had we did the experiment with the video phone. But now this is this is the the original video phone is yes. being in the same room. <laughs> the original video phone is correct. Uh, so this week we're going to talk about Stevie Wonder songs in the key of life, and Stevie Wonder in general. Uh, I saw Stevie Wonder at the Songs of the Key of Life tour, and um, it was great. T-shirts in Braille. T-shirts and Braille, yes. You sent me a note which about is, your friend who had a T-shirt and Braille. Is, which is rad. Um, and then we're going to talk about the Kurt Cobain movie Montage of Heck and just what it means to have this uh, – what we thought well, – what under ordinary circumstances would be ephemera presented to us as cinema and what that means and how and, – and whether it works. But some some business – before we get into the actual show, um, I just want to say I, I've come around on, on the Kardashians. I, I just want to make that known. You've been receiving texts from me over the last couple of weeks. I've been watching the show kind of by accident. Um, Which is the only way. So the only way you start. Yeah, no, I don't I think know. anybody's ever like I gotta check that out. No, it's it's, it's not like I Claudius where you're like I need to I need to see that I need to, I've been meaning to get around to that. I watched Wolf Hall by accident <laughs> recently. I mean, I, I was I was accidentally put on to Wolf Hall. I had no interest in it. I, I'm I, Hillary Mantle is fine by me. The idea of watching Wolf Hall was not appealing, but the Kardashians. Um, and I'm glad I watched Wolf Hall. By the way, I, I have say. so many questions about Wolf Hall. Well, starting we, with like, are there wolves? No werewolves. You're, you're free. You're free of werewolves. Although I, that would be something. Yeah, exactly. That would you just lost me. You had me and then, then lost me. All right. Well, so the Kardashians. I actually. I also have. I mean, I felt like I didn't ever need to watch the show because of you and the the beauty with which you laid bare both their humanity and their faults and also their comedy. I mean, I guess that is part of what makes us human in some ways. But then the Bruce Jenner thing happens last week, and as predisposed as I was to be skeptical and roll my eyes, uh, he comes out as, trans, as a transgender woman, and the show in which he does it is actually pretty well done. It, very well done, I would say, because I, have no, I had no issues with it. And I, I feel like the reason that he is the right person to have done that is in part because of his his athletic self and who he who he had been before 2007 or from 1976 to about 1989 to be specific and then who he became by marrying chris kim chris kardashian and having these two children deciding to do this reality show finding the show finding a character for him to be edited as and for him to be going through this the struggle for like before the show and apparently on the show um, and for him to unburden himself of that. I just really, I just didn't, I don't feel like the, the, the cultural head turning and, 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 you know, full stopping would have necessarily been possible if it weren't for that, for the Kardashian Jenner enterprise. 
right? That we're that if it wasn't happening to somebody who was part of a thing that we are predisposed as a culture to, wh- whenever there's a ripple in that pond, we're going to look at it. Right, right. So he's the right guy to be you know, have that at the, you know sort of happen at that at that moment. Yeah, it's interesting because my favorite thing about the Kardashians, or one of my favorite things about the Kardashians, was the way that it was a it was a fictional show that often presented things that were really happening. Yes. But it would present them, it would traditionally present them like a few months after they happened. So you would, you'd read about something happening and then you would see it represented in this sort of, you know, kind of improvised play based on real life. Yeah. You know, so I'm always interested in those moments when it diverges from the, when the, the sort of the narrative of the show and the narrative of real life diverge, right? Like right. that's always, and, and how they sort of, how they come together and how they weave together and how they, you know, you like how they responded. Like for instance, when Kim was getting divorced, like that whole, so when she was, you know, her marriage and divorce and all of that stuff, you saw that play out, you know, you always know where it's going. It's the most predictable show on TV. Right. Because it goes from that, like, you know, it, it, because it's based on always things that have happened. So I'm really interested to see how they address this and how they deal with this, like a real thing happening in someone's life, yeah. like a truly, you know. I just mentioned, I just used a crater metaphor before we <laughs> went on the air, but I feel like this revelation totally puts a crater in that show. Yeah. Uh, I think if you're still watching it now, there is a kind of, there's before who Bruce Jenner is going to become and there's after who Bruce Jenner is going to become. Yeah. It well there's a uh, there's a creator and there's also there's a Kaiser Suze moment to it, right? Because right. It because you, you go, go back, back and think about so much that happened on that show and what you think with of, regards yeah. to him. And then what you think about is his sort of his like his kind of obvious sadness. Yes. yes. That he was really sort of and he was a figure of fun because it was like if you were watching this with any kind of sort of gimlet eye on the Kardashians and kind of making fun of them. Right. He was in a way he was the most sort of pathetic figure in this because he was just you know he just seemed to hate his life and suddenly now it's like oh okay like there's something going on here like it's you know it it, it makes more it makes more sense than just sort of uh, this guy hates being on this television show. right no i mean it it actually makes it a little bit tragic yeah it takes what was was inherently funny like you know a classic tv archetype and and makes it tragic in a way that it, it never previously had been well once you if you think about on that, television yeah if you think about that as a as a role that he had sort of fallen into for lack of being able to actually be himself in right. that moment like right. it becomes it takes on a tragic dimension it totally it totally does and you know i mean i don't know i wrote a blog about the kardashians i made fun of all the kardashians <laughs> i made fun of bruce you made fun of bruce I made abundant fun of bruce and you know like because i found you know and often what's weird about it is that like i mean i haven't really gone back and looked at it but i think a lot of what i'm making fun of him about is a very kind of performative jerky masculinity yes, and a very yes. sort of protesting kind of like, you know, I just want to be a man and go in my man cave kind of stuff. And like now, once you understand that to be sort of a kabuki right. so, to, to some extent, right, right. that's, in, that's an interesting way of looking at it. Yeah. You know, it's, I don't know. Uh, like uh, it was, yeah, it was, it was, I thought it was a really fascinating special to watch is this die the Diane Sawyer? Yeah, no, just, I mean, I've never seen anything like that. No, I mean all those. I thought about all those Michael Jackson specials. That was the closest thing I could come in terms of like what culturally is this like. But yeah. that didn't. There was never really any information in that. I mean, he was very good at being a media figure. Yeah, and he never wanted. I don't know. Just Bruce Jenner taking Diane Sawyer to his closet and showing her That's intense. that dress. Just 
it it continues to blow my mind. Yeah, it was for an intense it, For all that it meant. And also, I mean, there's sort of there was an element to those Michael Jackson shows that's not present here, which is that I mean, I don't there was there there were different ones. It's like the, there's the, the the Chris Rock joke about the Ed Bradley interview where he like did all he could to make Michael look like a mammal, right? <laughs> you know, but like this was not that this was or this, and this wasn't like Martin Bashir. It's like no, the difference it's the opposite. Was that, it, it's that the it was opposite. actually like it was, yeah, there was no kind of like there was no kind of if you're gonna say the wrong thing and we're gonna you're gonna sort of like we're gonna reveal yourself right. as a you know a bad person as as you would in those Michael interviews like that. Michael was just sort of good at being oblivious to what was going on in the conversation, you know, yeah. or what needed to be addressed. Right, right, right. And this was like somebody finally being able to like, you know, to like address the elephant in the room and be like, you know, come to this. Yes, come no, this elephant. is right. Uh, the other thing I wanted to talk about very briefly is that, you know, Baltimore is in, is in turmoil. The nation again is in turmoil. Have we, have we not been not in turmoil the last X number of weeks? Somebody takes down the number on the Months. days, days without a, you know. Yeah. I mean, it's been it's been three years of this of, in in the way that we've had it. Um, I just wanted to mention that it's just strangely, it, it's just incredible that we're about to enter another summer in which "Do the Right Thing" is the most important and 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 impertinent American movie there is. Yeah, it would be great if there was a time when that was not the case. Yeah, we were actually like, yeah, that movie seems really dated now. There's nothing about no. it. It would be. It, it gets would, realer every year. Yeah, no, because people have been. Uh, my 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 friend reposted this, and people. Have been, I know you have something to read. The that uh, there's a paragraph from Ebert's review of Do the Right Thing. I don't know if it's his review at the time or if it's his great movies blurb about it. Uh, that's been that's been making the rounds again. And it's just it's it's so you just you don't have to change anything about it for it to be you know it's the, it's the line about you know how the, the important thing about do the right thing is it makes people walk out thinking about oh have I inadvertently valued a pizzeria over a human life like right, that thing right 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 no I mean it's it's a it's the it is the perfect it's a perfect movie it is the quint it is now to me the quintessential one of the quintessential American movies um, and if you haven't seen it you should. If you haven't uh, seen it recently, you should. You've even seen it. You've seen it recently. You should also see it recently. We have a book selection this month. We have a new book. We're going to read it. We're going to we're going to talk about it at the end of of May. Um, the last show we'll do in May. We're going to discuss Paul Beatty's The Sellout, which is loosely related to things that are happening in the country right now. It's a it's a race satire. It's pretty funny. Uh, I'm eager for Alex to read it because you've read. Paul Beatty's other books, or at I read, least one of them. I read right? the White Boy Shuffle when it came out and loved right. it, and I haven't. I have missed the ones in between. Right. So I'm not. I won't have a really a take on the arc necessarily, but White Boy Shuffle is a great, great, great book. So I'm yeah. looking forward to this. And uh, oh, we never do this, but we should start doing it more often, which is telling people to like us on Facebook. Or not like us. Just leave some comments. Tell us that we're doing a good job or a bad job. Don't be mean. Just be honest. Be me. I, I, I'm going to say be mean. I mean, well, don't be don't excessively be ad, mean. Don't be, don't be like ad hominem. No, but no, you know, if you no. have yes, if you have things to say <laughs> about the content. Yes, you, you needn't perform not liking the show. You can just be constructive in your criticisms or effusive in your praise. You totally, you totally could. Uh, you, and also iTunes, iTunes also has well. the uh, we need we'd like the, some uh, comments from iTunes please I've been reading other people's comments on on podcasts that I do not enjoy as much as I enjoy ours and on podcasts that I enjoy just as much and I I'm a little envious that that you know those those places have have comments so 
Uh, if you feel compelled to do so, please leave a comment. Uh, we'll be right back to talk about songs in the key of life. With it, the language we all understand. And I'm going to help for singing over Stevie Wonder when he's got a much better voice than I do. Yeah. Sorry. I'm just going to, I would like this to continue. Can we just do the whole <laughs> album and I'll just sit over there? Um, yeah, we just asked people to leave comments on, yeah. on this podcast. Maybe this was not the right time to that ask was, that. I didn't st- scratch that, y'all. I didn't mean that. Wait till next week's show where the, the I, please, please, everyone review Wesley's uh, pitch. <laughs> pitch imperfect, starring pitch. Wesley Morris. We'll auto tune that in the in the, in the <laughs> joke and do that in, in post. Oh, I'm so sorry. Um, that was Sir Duke from Stevie Wonder's songs in the Key of Life. Track number four, I believe. Number five. I'm going to check that. Um, wonderful song. And the, that's, the, that's the brightest song. I think that is song four because I think I wish is after that. Um, and Stevie Wonder has been on tour for about the last year performing this song more or less chronologically in, in, in song order. Um, songs in the key of life. He's songs in the key of life. Yes, thing. not yes. The entire album, front to back. Front to back. He's moved some things around for the sake for, for in the sake of uh, for the sake of drama to make things make more sense um, in a live context. But for the most part, it is the album in its proper order. Right. Does he do the EP at the end? We he say does it. It's, it's yes. a double LP. When it came out initially, it's a double LP with a giant booklet in it of credits. I remember really pouring over that book i mean i was it came out in 1976 i was barely alive in 1976 um and so i discovered that music uh, that song i mean the album as maybe like seven or eight when i you know those those days those like days when you didn't have to go to school or you're home on a weekend or something and you're just lying doing that thing where you lie on the floor on your stomach and your legs are in the air and you're just sort of like just flipping through albums and looking at liner notes and no one understands you might as well be speaking in your brain no i mean well i mean i'm just saying no like no nobody knows what i'm talking about age wise (laughs) you are now in the terror but i think that's important because i think there's something about this being a you know there's something about the double lp and the sort of myth of the double LP and the myth of the sort of double LP statement. Yes. Yo, yo, no. There used to be a time when 17 songs on an album meant something. Right. I mean, that's the thing, what you have to know about it. Yeah, exactly, because it meant pressing two records instead of one, and it cost more to do it. And then when CDs came out, suddenly it was like, oh, Aerosmith has 28 songs on the new Aerosmith right, album, like right, just because right. because a CD is 80 minutes, and like you can do it if you want to. And like it used to be, you know, I was reading about Todd Rundgren. I was thinking about this, because Todd Rundgren actually would put so much music on one album that the... Um, those Todd Rundgren records are very tinny sounding because mm. the grooves are the, the information, the, the sort of the shallower, the uh, groove It's something it's about the nature of vinyl pressing that like it would be. Kind well, of, that would make sense. Why yeah. on this album, there are four songs on one side and yeah, 
five on another. And it was a double LP with like a seven inch, right? Like initially, mm-hmm. yeah, like it was it came, like, came with a forty five. It or came, something, like, yeah, it came with an with an extra inch. four songs. Yeah, um, and so in the sh- during the show, I'm trying to remember now. I mean, you know, I the confession I have to make about this record is I it took me my entire life to or my you know since I began listening to it to understand that I was listening to it in the wrong order. Like I would get the songs backwards somehow. Like I, the second record, I would not, li- I, I would not listen to in order. And then right. I wasn't sure once I bought, once I had the, the CD and I put it in an iPod, I didn't know what was going on. So it was all screwed up to me. And so in the last five years, I actually sat down and and fact checked the chronology yeah. as as it appeared. Even right now in my in my MP3 devices. It's out of order for some reason, and the extra the EP songs are. It's it is as though those EP tracks, which include, um, what are the songs? Uh, Saturn, Ebony Eyes, All Day Sucker, and um, Easy Going Evening. My mom is calling, which I like. Um, I like that one. My it's mom's not, call. Yeah, uh, I do. I like that. It's a weird way to end a record. But well, it's the right way to end. That's a the thing because it used to be like, here's another thought that I had. And yes. I'm giving you all this music, and now it's like Spotify. It's like that's track. That's just track twenty or whatever yeah. it is. So it's a weird way. To, it's a weird way of taking it in. But yeah, no, there's something about the experience of those double LPs, and this is you know that like it was a conscious thing to do, right? In the way that you know publishing a 600 page book is a conscious right. thing that you do right. that, that makes people look at it differently. So this came at the end of what is is i mean i guess arguably argue i guess arguably i would say somewhat certainly the greatest five record run in the history of recorded music right it's recorded popular music yeah i mean it's a it like it's like a beatles level sustained creativity and quality phase it's which is, I mean, and it's a, and it's also short. That's the really crazy thing. Yeah, he did this from 1972 to 1976. Well, yeah. yeah, so it's four, it's four years. Yeah. So he started with music in my mind, and then talking book, and then inner visions, and full, filling us his first finale um, from 74, and then he took two years to make this record. And I, I mean, those are five perfect records. Um, I would even throw in Hotter Than July, which he, which came out in 1980, as as I would call it, like, between them is Stevie Wonder's Journey Through the Secret Life of Plants, which <laughs> is a, sep- we weren't a separate podca- a podcast. We, we've, talked, we've discussed it before. We can discuss it again. <laughs> Underrated. Really interesting stuff on I there. Think, I think he w- – I mean, the reason – I mean, it was such a curveball, and I think that was part of the reason that, that it, people – didn't know what to do with it because he was on this run and then he records this virtually this basically instrumental record and it's so unlike the other five the the previous five um just to sort of say where stevie wonder was in at the time when he wrote this i mean he was he began his little stevie wonder this you know motown prodigy hit 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 by the early 70s he was clearly on a tour, like he clearly had a vision of how he wanted music that he recorded to sound. Um, he went on this run. I guess this was during the Nixon administration, like the run. And 
he just became disillusioned with all the strife happening in the country and decided that rather than – he thought about instead of continuing to make records, he would leave the country, go to Ghana and help children. Um, but at some point, he got a really good Motown contract renewal. He took it, thought, OK, I'm an extremely talented person. It would be insane for me at this point in my career. At the time, he would have been in his 30s, which is also insane. I mean, this is when we talk about Kendrick Lamar and, and Drake and, 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 you know, really interesting artists who are very young. It'll be interesting to me to see – we've discussed this, like what those people will be like when they're 35 and 36. Yeah. But what's um, interesting about Stevie Wonder, I think, in part, is that he was – he started so young, but also there was such a level of, of, of like churn. You know, yes. the two years off was a long time. And like so he was like really moving through and discarding and learning new things and developing that sound because it was – you know, it's the same with like – it's the same with the Beatles where it's like, you know, they just are putting out album after album after album. And so they're moving much faster and sort of developing. I should correct something, by yeah. the way. He was not in his 30s. Oh, he was younger than – yeah. No, he's going to be – He's like 26. He's 26 what? On, on like by – Songs in the Key of life. life. He's 26. Uh, <laughs> I mean look. It's just going to keep happening in life that you're going to start – keep feeling this way. It's, but it's, I no. take that back, Drake and Kendrick Lamar. You're okay. Yeah, you're fine. I mean I, I will say you have not had – none of you has had a run. Who – I mean this is sort of parenthetical, but who's had a run as good as, as, as this person? There's very few, and you have to go to like Titans, you know. Yeah, you have to go to the to the great people. I I mean, what I think is interesting too. I mean, about so he gets through. He has the you know he has this period where he breaks from Motown, and it's the most you know it's the most interesting kind of emancipation from the rules of Motown. From the you know, you just triggered something. Prince. Prince is the only. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. So emancipation on this on this podcast, we can't think of Prince's name. Yeah. We can't speak his name. Uh. Yeah, there's that. There is that. Prince totally had that. And, you know, but I mean, Prince had the example of Stevie Wonder. The interesting thing about Stevie Wonder is that there was no, you know, I mean, like he was a contemporary of the Beatles. And he's and I think in some ways is probably looking at that more than anything else. Yes. You know, yes. but it, what's what's interesting to me about this record in particular, and it's it, you know, it's not it's not only this one, but think about it when you think about that contract like that huge for its time i think it was like 37 million dollars or something which is you know smallish potatoes now it's right. still 37 million it's still 37 million and adjusted for inflation by the way i guess if you adjust it adjusted yeah, for inflation that's astronomical. and at the time yeah it was high yeah and so suddenly like i think there's something to be said about sort of what technology the effect that technology had on the way this record sounds and what technology cost back then mm-hmm, mm-hmm. i'm assuming that like there was something about him having all of this money that allowed him to do this because at the time like you know to build these synthesizers and use all these sort of, you know but part of it's just being a genius yes you know like rick wakeman had this stuff too but like there's not a lot of like there's not a lot of Wait, black who's rick wakeman? Who, from yes you oh know, like the patch bay yes. synthesizers and stuff like because you see pictures of stevie like making i think it's actually him making secret life of plants is where it gets really patch yes. bay crazy yes which is like those for anybody who doesn't know it's those synthesizers who look like you know 
like Ernestine, the telephone operator is kind of <laughs> plugging them in, you know, and you just have to put in different things. And it's like it's incredibly sort of time consuming to do that. There's something about like money and time and studio time and time to sort of hole up in a studio and experiment that you see like there's not a especially in this period there's not a lot of black artists who get to do that mm-hmm. or, you know well get to or even or, like, inclined to do it I mean I don't well, know there f- are some people yeah. the Stevie whoever Stevie whoever the Stevie Wonder is of 2015 could almost certainly spend That's two what I, years no, yeah, sure Kanye West could go into a studio totally totally. And do this. But also Kanye could do everything, you know, sort of like technologically, like that computer that you have on your desk right now. Yeah. You could do. You could make songs of key songs in the key of life, except for being a genius. Without you have everything ins- else, with no disrespect to Kanye, like it would, it would, it's a, it's a, it would seem to me. Look, let me just. Can I give you? Can I just? I yeah. can't. I'm not going to turn the computer on to show you, but the number of names involved <laughs> listed in the recording of this record and i'm not talking about people who brought stevie food i'm not talking about babysitters <laughs> i'm not talking about like right you're, you know are, ray charles coming by to say hey stevie how's it going yeah or these like, are above the line talent only right or john lennon coming by and being like stevie i thought i'd say hello this is these are people who like made the record happen musically there are way more than 100 people yeah hand clapping is a credit on this album i'm looking at it now but i remember that as a kid just being like whoa right because somebody got hand clap uh, uh, credits yeah um they're all the choir you know they're the choruses and that sort of thing yeah i hate that they don't tell you who did what uh, like that that's something you can't that's so hard to find on the internet who did what on what song yeah, no so i mean annoying. i really I, I i don't want to rant about all music guide yes no no no. <laughs> i i don't want to be a declinist at all but i really do miss being able to sit down with a record and like look at like look at the actual particulars of what happened in, in its making and be like oh that's carlos alomar playing <laughs> rhythm guitar or whatever it is yeah, no, so, like, he has the, uh, yeah, I don't want to make it sound like it's just him purely auteuring, because he could do that, you know, because he could play yeah. all of those things. Yes, yeah, like, so he, he could do what Prince did and go in. Yeah, it's not, it's not that, but it's something about, there is a, like, there was a tradition, and I, I, I sort of, I keep talking about the Beatles for some reason, but I think it does sort of, because it's it a, warrants, it merits mention. It's that thing where you would, sort of like, the, where the album over the live show became the, sort of, the definitive statement, where you would go in the room and kind of just dick around with stuff until you could sort of experiment and like get something that you wanted and like that sort of like let's try all of the technologies that are there like you hear this record and there's amazing like he is creating synth sounds that are you know that just you know that are just colors for that you know that thing it's not it's like he's they're sort of like you know those modular synthesizers like what they do they don't it's not like a preset where you're like this is the buzzing wave or whatever you have to sort of you know do that yourself right you hear him doing that and so he's you know he has the resources and the you know the pull to do that he's in a studio that's not super you know it's not a super fancy studio it's mostly crystal sound in los it's, angeles yeah, which yeah, is okay. an interesting it's an interesting history like you know that what what else got made there, you know, but it's mostly like him and, these, him and these engineers. I was going to print it out and I didn't print it out. Okay. I'll pull it out. Well, there's a really, there's a good sound on sound article about the making of this record and specifically of uh, pastime paradise Ooh. and like how they sort of, how they got that together, but they interview all the engineers. That has a the, great, we'll, we're going to, we'll play that right now. 
I just I love the way that I love the the percussion on that. I love the strings on that. During the concert, there's a there's an there's a little symphony yeah. off, or a little orchestra off to the side. I, I'm not I don't remember. I want to say it was it was the Brooklyn Symphony Orchestra. If that is even the right terminology for what they are, um, I think he uses a different different strings for each date. I could be wrong about that. He might have he might be bringing Local the same string for there. So that uh, might make more the same sense. group, but. They set off to the side and did the strings for this and hearing that live and watching and just seeing the, the sort of display of musicians and the display of instruments on the stage, um, that Pastime Paradise was, was kind of electric. And it's not like a crowd-pleasing song, A, given its subject matter, and yeah. B, given that you can't really dance to it. Um, but it has a power. Like that's the thing about this album um, is that each song on its own is is a great song. But the tapestry of sounds that it that it that it that it forms is really amazing too. Um, I'm I'm really interested in trying to figure out. I've two things, and we talked about this a little bit before, which is like what, where in the if this. If it's if the rec, I mean, my personal opinion is that the record is it's it's not it's it's long. I don't know if it has too many songs, but I think it's definitely harder to wrap your brain around or your your yourself around what it what exactly it is. Um, it's a response to his life. It's a response to black lives. Amazingly, you know, which is what a lot of musicians were doing in in the seventies. But it's in a different way than a lot of people were doing it. It comes from a different perspective. Right. I, think. I mean, he he is an optimist. Yeah. There's a and, hopefulness and a joyfulness. Right. That the rest of the sort of the big of this those seventies, those like re- really great kind of like you know black auteur funk albums are t- tend to be pretty dark in their subject matter or it's confrontational. Like, or yeah, it's right, like there's right. a riot going on is musically incredible but it's you know, it's there's it's there's a the state of hopelessness is what it's about like right. it's a, you know and, and this i mean that's a that's a years earlier but i'm Sly thinking in the family stone yeah like yeah. a lot of these things and they you know it's either like you know i mean i guess i guess what's going on has a little bit of that but like yes yes that's i mean that's close but also but you know there's something about the way that album lulls you into it's got an interesting effect right because it's so lush and so beautiful and there's nothing hard about it and there's a lot of hardness on this record there's a lot of of edge and he is stevie wonder is one of those artists who when it works is able to toggle among these different tones and get these these, this assortment of, of sounds to, to tell a story versus when it when that sort of goes off the rails a little bit for him. I mean, we can talk about what happened after 1980, 1980 in a second. But, I mean, I just wanted to – where does this album sit for you in the, in the, Stevie, in the Stevie pantheon? I mean, I had it's, – it's weird. I, I feel like I've always sort of underrated it. Mm-hmm. Because it's the it feels like the big statement and the ones that I gravitated to more. I mean, I think like you know I went when we when I knew we were doing this. I went back. I listened to this one and then I went and did the run chronologically just to say like okay, what's my favorite out of these? Because they do you sort of forget what's on which record mm-hmm, and stuff. Mm-hmm, you know? mm-hmm. 
I think it's still I still really like fulfillingness the most. Mm-hmm. It's the least it has the least hits. You know, it has Boogie on Reggae Woman on it, but like it's yeah. really it's the it's kind of you know that's which I like actually. But like I love Boogie <laughs> on Reggae. That actually is a song that has lasted. It's a song you still hear at parties. Yeah, it comes on and it is extremely danceable. Yeah, and those things tend to hold up better because you don't have all the. It's like to, to remember that Pastime Paradise is a great song. You have to sort of dig through your associations with Coolio and with Amish Paradise. Yes. Or at least I do. It's like no, you, we all do. No, it's, it's totally the, true. I've heard Gangster's Paradise so many times in my life that you kind of have to forget that. You have to make yourself forget that in right. order to see, like, oh, this is actually like kind of a profound song, and like we really are kind of living. It's a, a yeah. Past time I mean, paradise. it's it's a little appalling that he. I mean, only a little, but it is like he he gentrified the song basically. Yeah, you know, I mean, Coolio. With all due respect to to that song, I I do. Well, I don't know if respect is due. But, uh, I mean, he kind of cleaned it out a little bit without emptying it completely of its meaning. But just hearing the lyrics uh, of Pastime Paradise, you just, you don't, it's a little bit tasteless and kind of appalling. Yeah. (laughs) That it became Gangsta's Paradise. And then Amish Paradise, which is actually like, was almost like, where else is it going to go at this point? Right. But you don't know what I'm talking about. I mean, to be, and to be fair to, to, wait, I don't know. To Weird Al. Oh, to Weird Al, yeah. But I, 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 I'm going to, I'm going to take back everything I said about Gangsta's Paradise. I think it actually is a good song. And it's mostly good from what it gets from Stevie Wonder. I mean, he just resituates, he, he specifies the, the pastime-ness of yeah. the specific paradise. Well, what, yeah, Sorry, exactly. Coolio. No, I, that it, was unfair. And it's pre- – yeah, exactly. It's something it's, – it's a little more profound because it actually makes you think about you know distraction and the way that we're just sort of not paying attention to our actual lives right. and all that stuff, which is an incredibly timely thing. It's interesting though to listen to this one because like whatever my sort of rock critic-y kind of just dork favorite is – you know, and like I, it's this is, and this is not that. Like I think it's probably some of the earlier ones, and like music of my mind too. You know, the one yes. that's got the aviators and everything. Like just listening to this, like it was amazing how many things jumped out as because it's all of your favorite artists have been listening to this and trying to accomplish it. Mm, you know, mm, over and mm. over. So you hear things that like it, it's just in, not even samples. You no, know, that's like, an obvious sample, like Lauren but, Hill. Yeah, just sounds and feels right. and things like that. It's clearly this is a touchstone for so many people, and you can hear, you can hear everything, and you can hear the like. We're gonna uh, at some point like we we'll, we will play the end of uh, well, or the it's not the end, it's the middle, it's the sort of it's uh, the the bridge of ordinary pain, which I have I've heard a million times and haven't ever noticed. I finally figured out where like that that's both the basshead song that like ding 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 yes. ding right. with the transition between the, the Stevie song part and the uh, female vocal part where right. she just <laughs> she just gets him back. She rips him. Up. Right. She's like you're a, you're a sad bastard. Shut up. Uh, like, <laughs> nobody cares. About I mean your that's pain. amazing, right? But yes. that sounds that moment in there. It's almost like the clouds part and there's Wu Tang. Mm-hmm. You know that the way that progression works, and right. you just know that that's you know, and it's not even that, that not even that it was a sample, just that that was what was around for all of these you know for a generation that would go on to make all of your favorite rap songs Mm -hmm. that this was just this was just there and i imagine it was just sort of in everybody's house right you know and like you're sort of as you're describing with like sitting on the floor and listening to it it's you know it's 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 one of those things and it's one of those things that everyone is reaching for when they make their to pimp a butterfly or whatever it is for that moment just the scale of some of these songs like 
um, black man just having those kids come in and spend like two minutes shouting out the accomplishments <laughs> of of great American men and women of all races. Yeah. It, it it but this the, the richness of that sound the other what's the other sort of amazing um oh uh i am singing like es una, es una historia like it the 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 levels of sound in that record the percussion the bass i mean i'm not doing a good enough job to bring to life how full and rich that particular record is but each of these records i mean this is something that you spend 2 years doing i mean when you talk about I think the thing that I was hearing you kind of get at before when you were talking about the yes, there were like more than a hundred people involved in the making of this record, but it, it is in many ways like a film. You know, like you watch all those names roll on like Captain America: Winter Soldier of all the people who made the the effects happen. Well, that's a bad comparison, actually. Uh, Goodfellas, <laughs> lots of people, whatever the, your masterpiece. The, the, yeah, cre- yeah. the credits roll. And, but really, I mean, it is, it is unmistakably the work. uh, It is, it is the, it is the vision of one person that is, that has brought this to you. And this is very much the equivalent of that sort of thing. And, um, I have to say though, it is not my favorite CD wonder record. It is not. I'm, you saw me sitting here. (laughs) I saw you make this list. (laughs) Okay. I'm going to, I'm just going to rank them in order. I'm going to go in the reverse order. Um, songs in the key of life is number number six. Wow. Yes. I mean, it's a great record, but it's but it's the one with it's the one I'm having a hardest. I'm not having the hardest time assembling it into a single album in some ways, and partly that's how that's it. That's a, it's it, it's a victim to, uh, of my experience with it. Right. Yeah. There's a list. We should put it on the show page. But I, I found something when I was digging this up. Was somebody did a list? Uh, so the guy who wrote the 33 and a third book about this record mm-hmm. did a nine song songs in the key of life. Oh yeah. I mean, I thought about that watching the show. Like, what would I do? What would what would I Wesley Morris pee on with <laughs> with with the artistic talent of an ant relative to giant musical god and legend Stevie Wonder? Yeah. Do with the songs in this album? Yeah. How would because you- surely I know better about sequencing than he does. Yeah, but it's a nice thought. It's an interesting thought. It's an interesting though, thought to look at it and actually say, like, you know, because also it's like, you know, like it's 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 both sequence and what you cut out. So it's it, you lose some. Arguably, you would lose some of the things that make this what it is because this is not this is the record that it is because it's like oh I'm also gonna do I'm gonna do contusion which is my I've been paying attention to jazz fusion right. and like all of those yes. things and like I'm gonna make a Mahavishnu song initially and, like, as yeah. a kid and until I was maybe 25, 26, 27, I found that song embarrassing. And part of the embarrassment was I knew Sir Duke was coming after it. And as a kid, picking up the needle and putting it out, like the risk of doing that and like ruining the like either breaking a needle and having my mom yell at me. Right. Well, I just never touched the arm of the album. I just let everything happen automatically. So I had to sit through contusion so many times <laughs> and I was so mad about it because it wasn't Sir Duke or I Wish, which needed I had to flip the record over to get to I Wish. And or or yeah, no, I yeah. wish. And uh, I was just annoyed by it. But now as an adult, I totally I, I respect contusion. That said, number five songs in the key of life. Uh, yeah, no, number six. Uh, number six. Sorry. Right. Okay. Number four. Uh, number five is fulfilling this his first finale. Now, uh, now you just have to accept that 
tomorrow I could come in and make the list totally differently. But I mean, today it's that number four is talking book because not enough is said about talking book and it is perfect. Yeah, I really like Talking Book. I think that was probably the first one that I really keyed into of his records. I think I, pro- I think I got music in my mind and Talking Book the same day. Yeah, I mean it, it is it is a wonderful record and and pretty perfect. Um, I'm gonna and then number three is Music of My Mind, um, which has I think song for song, um, it just has the the best stuff on it. Um, love having you around. Superwoman, I love every little thing about. I mean, I love every little thing about you. Is when I die, I want that played at my funeral. I don't know who it's for. All my friends, all my family, the dance party that you want to have, the dance party, that the chorus of that song. I mean, he. Okay, we didn't even discuss this. We have to go. But who wrote better choruses? Who wrote like more joyous choruses, I guess is maybe the better way to put it. See, yeah, I mean, look, that's the that's the thing about this. It's I almost feel like he's underrated in a way because it's mm-hmm. easier to it's easier to look at somebody like a Sly Stone mm-hmm. and see them in the lineage of kind of rock and protest and angst and all of those things and darkness and anti popness. And all of that, it's harder to make joy work, I mm-hmm. think. And I mm-hmm. think that's what's sort of amazing about this. And I think honestly, that's why I was never a big as big of a fan of it because there is sort of like the reason uh, there. There's a kind of there, there's a sort of there's a cynicism and a tough mindedness that creeps into those earlier records. And there's some of it on this one too. But this is such a just a geyser of kind yes. of like a yes. positive feelings, yes. even if it's even if there's ultimately like we're because he could write a protest song. He could write a protest song. He write a sad song. He write a sort of a troubled song. It's like heaven is ten zillion light years away okay you got me into by the way because it is in the movie oh arno desplashen's um my sex life or how i got into an argument and like we were talking about it once and we were were talking about a thing that we never did at the one of the places that we used to work where it was we're doing musical moments in movies and you i'd never seen that movie and now i have but like it's you know that a guy sort of walks over the piano and just starts playing that at one point it's in that film it's great it's it's matthew almarik who does it too yeah yeah that's right. Um, so I, that like, and so I, you know, th- that's the thing about this. I feel like it's it's almost he's almost underrated because he's so kind of happy and positive that you don't see him as this, right. you know, like sort of like a warrior poet in the same way that yeah. you see somebody like who somebody like Curtis Sly, Mayfield, yeah, somebody yeah. like like Curtis who survived, you know, or Sly who was sort of like consumed by the darkness that he was dealing with, you know, mm-hmm. and like those those stories are in some ways easier to tell, right? And right. it's easier to sort of you know celebrate that in a way. It's it's harder to say like the guy who you know and a guy who went on to be like a pretty happy positive force in the world right. with those later you know. And I think the, this like the way the music is structured, like the keys to get to the chorus go up mm-hmm. i mean i don't know i mean if you're looking at a, at a bar graph to get to the chorus it's like step 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 oh yeah i love i love i love i love every little thing about you i mean i don't know well no it's a try it's that sort of gear shift into like yes. sir duke has, i feel like sir duke keeps getting bigger like it's sir duke it, it has the dynamics of like a new pornographer song or something yeah like, even the chorus is like so much it's like yeah even I, more I, like, I, you're going off the cliff part. now with happiness yeah and that's and that yeah it's he he does that so well. There's a song on this record called Evil. It's about evil and how bad yeah. evil is and how, like, 
it and it builds into this like murder of evil. Yeah. Like Stevie Wonder is not embodying it; he is distancing himself from it and killing it dead. And also, yeah, I mean, and there's a you know, or like have a talk with God, which is a real kind of like low down sounding kind of like electro funk. Yeah. The number the number, second song on Songs of the Kill. But it's yeah. about how you should give your troubles up to the Lord. Like it's it's very much like it's a message that you know even like within that it's like it, that, you know that's like a sick dark groove. But then you're listening. It's like you know like and you should talk to God about your problems right. and he'll right. always be listening it's you know so i mean yeah no it's i'm definitely it's easy it, it, it's easier for me to understand like what's great about this but it took me longer to get behind it yeah uh number two inner visions yeah i mean the i mean it is a perfect cinematic vision in a lot of ways you know what i mean it mm-hmm. it tells a story from beginning to end it you feel like you were in one neighborhood block yeah. Um, both for, because, you know, there is that whole pa- – that sort of, you know, film passage basically in, in um, Living for the City. Yeah, which becomes every rap skit and really right. sort of is the right. – bir- it's the birth for all intents and purposes of everything from like, you know – Black exploitation. Yeah. Oh, you mean musically? I mean – I mean, well, I mean on those – yeah, musically where it's everything from like Prince Paul doing Prince Among yes, Thieves to yes, Kendrick doing yes, that story yes, yes. that links all the songs on uh, the, uh, the Good Kid Mad City. Yes. Like every – like that's the beginning of all of that. I find Interview Vision's the hardest to listen to now just because you're sort of you're like i i almost like you, the higher ground you almost have to you know it just doesn't work for me anymore it's, right. it's like been hollowed it, out by it's a little repetition. bit like superstition which is on yeah. talking book yeah. right or is it fulfilling this is now i can't remember uh it's on talking book okay um and number one your mind's gonna blow because i've been through all the 70s records I, well, I what knew, could number one be i was like when you said there were six i was like wait a minute hotter than july i'm not surprised because I picked it, or, or <laughs> I know you. I know you pretty. It's a, that does not blow my mind. Up. It is a great. If, if you have, if, if you are a Stevie Wonder fan who thinks that the five seventies records are great, and you don't listen to to hotter than you haven't listened to hotter than July, I haven't listened to it recently. Try it. You will find that song for so, song for song, and this is true on all these records. Like there, there is no bad song in any of these records. Yeah, um, it's perfect. I believe in the long seventies. The concept of the long seventies. And the, 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 what is that? Is that an actual concept? It is an actual concept, and I'm I've completely I'm not going to credit the music blog, the probably defunct music blog that I that originated this idea. But the idea of the law is just of the thing like that a record from 1980 is not necessarily 80s music sound wise. Mm. That you were mm. still basically mm. for all intents and purposes doing. 70s music at that point what's on hot what else is so hotter than july hotter than july is dude you really say you love me um the big hit on that record was uh lately's on that record oh it's got master blaster master blaster yeah lately i mean lately is i mean it is a that is a perfect ballot that everybody should cover, but nobody should cover anymore because Jodeci pretty much put the covering lately business business out of business. Jodeci put a bullet in that yeah, one. Yeah, I mean, let's happy birthday. Yeah, I mean his M his MLK jam. I mean that MLK is that, it's jam. become the black happy birthday. <laughs> we don't sing happy birthday to you. We sing happy birthday to you. I mean, it's it's yeah. it's great. Um, anyway, I ain't going to stand for it. I'm sorry. It's anyway, a good it's a good it's a good record. And then I mean, do you have a theory about why it went wrong? Why it, yeah. I asked you that. I thought you're smarter than I am when oh. it comes to this stuff. I don't have a, I don't have a theory. I I posited technology, but 
Right. I mean, I, and I think that's I think that's part of it because I think we just you know, but I don't know that technology affects how we perceive it right like what it sounds like to us when it what sounds dated and what sounds cool to right us. well so there's an element there's an element of that and there's an element of you having to you know like those and the, as those tastes change it's like hotter than july doesn't sound as weird in 80s as it used to it actually sounds like it sounds, sounds contemporary cool. it sounds contemporary yeah. yeah um but if you look at something like in square circle from 84 yeah which has three fantastic songs and a bunch of not so good ones or the song that a Stevie Wonder fan of the 70s music loathed, probably, which is um, I Just Called to Say I Love You on the uh, Lady in Red soundtrack, yep. which also has Go Home on it, I believe. Oh, wait, Go Home is on in, in Square Circle. That is a great song. But, uh, you know, I Just Called to Say I Love You is considered the most maudlin, one right. of the most maudlin songs ever written. There's that whole, isn't that the song in High Fidelity? Isn't there yes. that whole moment yes. in High Fidelity where they're like, your daughter doesn't like that song? Yeah. The guy comes in wanting to buy a copy of that record for his daughter. And they're like, your daughter, you're, you, don't under, you don't even know your daughter. You think that she likes that. So that's the most, that's the rockest uh, Stevie Wonder approach, yes. which is that that's the, the, that's the apotheosis. That's worse. You know, but again, that song has the steps to the chorus. Yeah. You know, no New Year's Day. And, you know, the cheesiness of the song actually is the keyboards. Yeah. Because the melody is fantastic. And you really do want to get the great thing about a song to me is can you wait to get to the chorus mm-hmm. like can you get to the chorus fast enough and can you wait for the chorus to come back around like th- that song even if you hate it if it's warmed its way into your brain you kind of are like okay here it comes yeah. But yeah, it's also, it's just, it's one of those things where he's not afraid. He's like, he's one of those guys like McCartney who's not afraid to go cheesy and therefore right. is all, it's always going to be a little harder. It's McCartney's always, a good one. McCartney's a really McCart- good one. He's McCartney esque. I mean, it's different because he's Lennon and McCartney because he didn't, ha- there was no period, like, you know, there was no period of greatness where he required a sort of an equal partner yes, doing the he thing. Was, he, he was, his tension was all with himself. Yeah, he was that. But he has that thing where you kind of have to work your way into the Paul catalog whereas like john is doing something that's very obvious and it's just it's like it's you know it's unimpeachable because it's like he's he's screaming and he's full you know primal rage and whatever and like it's art and it's it's you know it lays itself out on a blanket and in a certain way whereas like paul is you know paul can be a cornball paul has that in him right and so you have to you have to get around that or just come to peace with it in some ways i really like just hearing you singing i call i just called to say i love you i was like that's i like that song well if if that's what I can do, wait till you actually hear Stevie Wonder do it again. Exactly. Well, that's the thing. Like, and if he did, like, if you saw him for some, if you could get him somehow in a room and be like, can you re-record in Square Circle where it's just you and like a Fender Rhodes or something? Like, that would be that would be amazing. Yeah. Like, okay. So, also Jungle Fever, also really good. <laughs> skeletons from in character from 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 um, from characters. Anyway, uh, Stevie Wonder, you're a genius. We love you. I'm glad you're touring with this record and reminding everybody of how awesome you are. Uh, We'll be right back to talk about Nirvana. There's a great moment in Brett Morgan's movie Montage of Heck, which we're going to be talking about today. Where this song kind of just jumps out and slaps you in the face. Yeah, you forget how good that stuff on Incesticide is and how good I all forgot. of that is. 
I mean, the one, like, no matter what, I have some issues with this movie, but it was pretty amazing to sit in a movie theater and have this stuff kind of blast at you. Yeah, yeah. You know, if, if you really have gone back, because uh, just to have that level of volume, it's a very, it's mixed really loud, and we saw the arc light, and so it's a good sound system. It was everything. amazing. It was fantastic. And there's a lot of things with there's a lot of things with sound. It's like seeing the Reading Festival crowd, and it's almost like they mix that so it hurts. Yeah, I so mean, so that it really so you so you get the sense of how sort of awful and terrifying it must have been to get up in front of that many people, and how alienating that experience must have been to and to just look out at that. Yeah. I mean, okay, so this the story of this movie is basically the, the director Brett Morgan. Uh, I guess ran into Courtney love or Courtney love approached him. She'd seen his film kids days in the picture about their producer, Robert Evans. And it's actually a pretty good, very well assembled documentary from a few years ago, maybe 10 years ago, if not more. And basically she gave him access to all his personal materials, his sketchbooks, Kurt um, Kurt Cobain. Yes. Sorry. Courtney love being his, Kurt Cobain's wife, his widow, widow yes, and um, do with it what you will. Her, the idea, I guess, was to sort of reframe or recast the, the idea of Kurt Cobain as being telling his story in a way that kind of explains or recalibrates our idea of, of who he was. Um, so the movie takes these audio recordings that he had made and these sketchbooks and these notebooks and you know demos um super eight movies super eight movies and and things from his family talks to his mother his father his stepmother courtney love a previous girlfriend chris novoselic and i think that's it pretty much and but briefly most of the film is is it comprises all of this other stuff and is so for an hour, I would say the movie's about two and a half hours for an hour and a little bit more. It is, it is a really beautiful biographical experience. All of the music comes to life in interesting sideways ways. One of like a couple of things that, that he has access to that if you, it really helps to have, um, sort of an involuntary memory of, of that period from mm-hmm. the early 90s when there was this band out there called Nirvana. They were making a case for themselves. And then all of a sudden, we have talked about our respective Smells Like Teen Spirit experiences before. Crisco Twister. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and But if you are familiar with the iconography, for instance, of the Nevermind record, watching the other the outtakes from that photo shoot mm-hmm. come to life as a little short film yeah is or as a montage is is i mean i can't ex- ex- express the elation and like oh my godness of of watching that baby move in the water and seeing the band in the water and the drum kit and the guitar and all of the, of the stills from that photo shoot. Yeah. It's like when you see the contact sheet of something where the, where there's one picture that's right. hugely famous right. and then you see the, the one, the before and after, yeah. you know, I yeah. forget, I forget. I've, there's a really good example of something that I saw with this at some point. It might've been like, I might've, I think at some point they, they put out like, uh, you know, the other pictures from the cover of who's next mm. with them pissing <laughs> on the obelisk, you know, and then it's, them getting ready to piss on the obelisk and it's somehow it's just it's it's really cool to sort of right. to see that and yeah that they were in the water with the baby i guess right. or yeah. at the same day or well something somebody like had to be like yeah. i mean 
I don't know. I, and the other thing that reminds me of that is the is the making of the Smells Like Teen Spirit. Yeah, right that's amazing. That's they a, have, it's, I guess what they so I I, I don't know exactly that he didn't like it, I I don't know exactly where they got that, but they have it's like they they it looks like they have outtakes. Mm-hmm. From the shoot, from yeah. Samuel Bayer shooting that video, and that where you just see the you you can like you can see who's in that crowd a lot more mm-hmm. in these shots than you ever could. There's sort of an undifferentiated mass in that video because it's that very sort of brown like tobacco filter looking. Yes, you know, uh, you know, Nash- I always, Nashville Instagram. That's a very polite way to do it. I always called it fecal. It is a little, well, yeah. The, the, this band was called Fecal Matter before right. they were called Nirvana. Right. Like, there is something fecal about it. Yeah, no, it's a, yeah, exactly. It looks like it's shot through iced tea. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. and so you can't really see what's going on, and you just sort of see the kids in the bleachers. They are like, it's, it's like a, it's kids in bleachers. It's not individuals, and this sort of gives them back their individuality. You can see them a little better, and like the anarchy cheerleaders, seeing them kind of getting ready to do stuff. Yeah, no, I, that's a great moment too. Yeah, I was just reading. There's an amazing, which I will give you, and you can put that on the show page too. There's an amazing uh, grill. Marcus essay about that uh, that video mm-hmm. and about sort of like it's weirdly it's about smells like Teen Spirit and mind playing tricks on me mm. in the same oh, moment and sort of what that says about uh, you know because it's Grill Marcus it's what it says about America at that right. moment but it's really it's interesting to sort of see him talking about high school gyms I interviewed him once about this video not Kurt Cobain but Grill Marcus and I made some comment about school dances and mm. sort of how that's you know how they were subverting the idea of the high school dance and he was like that's the, where the most interesting things happen in high school it's actually a really no. sort of it's a volatile place and it's true like, it's true I okay so what about I mean there's okay there's two things to discuss in our in our like five remaining minutes but thing number one is there's nothing like this the experience like what this band and there's a, there's a the trailer for this movie oh let's play the trailer for this movie actually really quickly just to give you we'll play 60 seconds of the trailer just so you can have a sense of 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 what the film is it became really unruly we hated being humiliated you see the rage come out you always have to use some kind of art you go out for a few hours you come back and there's a painting on the wall or he wrote a song his goal was to write as well as he could play as well as he could it's on the music man it was awe-inspiring but it was like oh you know i guess i'm not all that special this is what i've always wanted to do and i said you better buckle up because you are not ready for this okay we're we're we'll pull out uh, yes, also known as Kurt Cobain's saw. <laughs> <laughs> this, yeah, those really scary sounds. Just, the, the, like, horror sound effect of, Jail the, like, the way it sort of colonized documentary filmmaking. We were admiring the sound mix for this movie and, and the sound design for this movie. Yeah. And in the movie theater as a movie, by the way, it's going to be on HBO starting May 4th. Uh, it's really... It's really great, but the trailer is like pro- probably effectively sensationalistic. Um, it kind of gets at some of the horror film aspects of this. The animations are really great. Um, I think. Oh, the thing I was going to say before we play the trailer was was the thing that you reminded of was just how much that band had like sucked the world into its vortex for about a year, maybe even a little bit more than that. Because when the second record came out. You were also, oh, my God, it's here. Um, but, you know, I I, 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 for, I didn't forget. It's still with me. But just seeing those crowds, the vast sea of people 
for these three people was just it was it was amazing being reminded of that yeah and for them to have to to for all intents and purposes be the the, the first band from that world and mm-hmm. that you know almost that generation to have that reaction no one ever no one after that would it would not be as weird because there was the example of nirvana like they were astronauts right. you know? i mean what do you think it goes does it go beatles michael jackson nirvana i guess are we missing somebody well like springsteen i mean there's things mm, but we're girls yeah are like we're like the culture is feasting on this person yeah i mean uh, yeah exactly i think that's the thing yeah ex- where like and everybody wants to sort of suddenly wants to look like that and like right. there's so i mean there's that apocryphal but great story about the nirvana record everybody returning their copies of use your illusion after christmas to get the nirvana album right yeah yes. and that being a big sales <laughs> but in the movie you realize that like it was also interesting to, to hear kurt cobain in his own words talk about who he felt his competition was yeah like and i think guns N' roses comes up at least twice well yeah because he had that whole thing he had that whole beef with axel you know yes. like where axel was you know like courtney was yelling at axel and then axel was like you need to keep your woman under control man like <laughs> i mean that was a that Oh man, the between appetite for destruction, Nirvana happening, and then use your illusion. Yeah, well, that's the thing about the crazy thing about Guns N' Roses. They were the last of that line. It's yeah. just it blew it out. Yeah. So here's all right. So we 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 saw this. But I think we agree that the stuff that they do in the beginning with his childhood, like that, is a total achievement. It's sort of it, you think that you have heard this a billion times. You have read. I don't know. I've read millions of books about it, about his life. Right. I've read Michael Azarad's book. I read the I read the Everett True book, which is an outstandingly crazy. <laughs> he was the guy who he's the guy who wheeled him on stage at the Reading Festival. He oh, is like, that who that is? British okay. music writer okay. who's sort of just and and he wrote this unbelievable. I really have to recommend. I don't even know. It might not even be in print. And at this point, I think you it's can just called Nirvana. The Ever True Book. It is like it is. It, it is this amazingly sycophantic, but also sort of like you know how you ever read Pale Fire by Nabokov, yes, where it's like that. Sure, nar- sure. There's the narrator who sort of is making it about him the entire time, and mm-hmm. it becomes much more interesting. So there's a poem that he's annotating, and it's like the poem is just reminds him of something about himself. Yes, like yes, that's yes. what this is. <laughs> it is amazing. So. You like, and you know, you've seen this. Like, I watched that weird about a son movie where it's just him being interviewed by Michael Azarad with like ambient music behind yes. it and like shots of some fog and stuff. All that you think you can't sort of have it opened up for you again, like that sort of childhood history, and yet it does somehow. Seeing that sort of animated version of things like does something to you, and like seeing his childhood drawings and the way that that sort of, you know his weird drawings of Fred Flintstone and stuff like that, and seeing him as a kid, all that works. Once it gets into the post fame, yes, it takes a dive, and I think that's partly because you, there's, the material is different. The material is different, and the material is way more of a bummer. And the the fact that there's that it's only primary sources becomes, I think, a problem because you don't have anything to contextualize it. So what you're looking at, you you have things to contextualize it, but you have Courtney Love talking about it, which is like, I'm sorry, like I don't. I don't buy the sort of the sort of, you know the kind of Yoko witch burning of Courtney Love any more than I buy the witch burning of Yoko. But like she's not a reliable narrator of what went on. No, you know this and is a, not this a, was not her this is not her none of this is her fault. No, but she's not the best person to talk to about it. And I think her presence in this film sort of 
like her very presence acknowledges that her yeah, like body she, language acknowledges yeah like that. she doesn't have final cut but it's a weird it's it's weird that like it's weird that you don't have any context for what it, the, these kind of junky home movies yeah that, so that basically what you're end. watching toward the end is is kurt and courtney sitting nancy out basically yeah like you were actually seeing this thing that you've heard about which is like him sort of just going off to do heroin for a while and play guitar and paint in a house yeah, at the height of their fame, basically to to go take time off, and this is what happens. And then you have this sort of, it's all fun and games until the kid is born, and then you have Kurt like nodding off with Francis on his lap, and you know it's that that's that's tough to watch. It's tough to watch. It's unpleasant, and also, but that aside, it just doesn't have any of the shape mm-hmm. and and energy and perspective that the rest of the movie has and again that is partly because the the nature of what the movie has to work with is just totally different but i also think it in in some ways is is attracted to the access in this in this way you know morgan is sort of culpable to of 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 or susceptible to and culpable of being in that in that sphere in some ways i mean the access is too is too tantalizing. He's got Courtney Love like right. topless, like walking around right. on camera, right. and like I, I totally see how if you had that, you wouldn't not put it in your movie, right? But there's something about it that just it does seem a little bit. I've got like, this. I've got this. I got this. I've got this. Well, but yeah, and it must be this must be illuminating because it's something because, is yes. more intimate than we have ever seen from a rock star before. And it's a little bit like it's almost like like it's a little Sony hack where it's mm, like, yeah, is this illuminating really just because like what does this really tell us? Like what do, what do Amy Pascal's Amazon purchases really tell us about the movie business or anything like that? Right. Probably nothing. Right, right. You know, it's like there's just this thing. And so it's it's amusing to see them kind of in their world and sort of to have to understand like what a bunker mentality that must have been. Right. No, I mean, and but, it's. I mean, and the thing about the first half of the movie is that you've got this great, you've got all this, all this juvenilia and these audio recordings. I saw the, there's a Jean-Michel Basquiat show at the Brooklyn Museum of Art um, that just, that takes those, that does a similar thing with his notebooks and his early work and things that people had never seen before and turns it into a show. Then the show is, is pretty outstanding in terms of both giving you a context for Basquiat's actual work but also showing a particular another kind of genius and there's nothing the thing that i don't enjoy necessarily about the second half of this movie is that the first half is really about about another kind of kurt cobain another aspect of kurt cobain's genius and the second half follows you know it tells a very familiar tale of genius troubled genius yeah it's the the falling action part of the biopic is always just depressing right and it's always a bummer because it's just it it it, because suddenly it becomes totally not unique yeah everybody's genius is different everybody's demise is the same in some ways yeah you know i don't know that that's not that interesting to look at yeah and what it does yeah what it does add is sort of you you kind of feel like oh i shouldn't i should probably not be Be seeing this this, and it doesn't really make me it doesn't make me feel good about myself that i'm watching this because there is you know the one thing that it does do though is that it it stops with it it stops with for all intents and purposes with what his like last real statement is which is the end of that unplugged Right. Which is still some of the most amazing music that they ever yes. made is that that unplug show, the entirety of that thing. And it's all, at some point it just becomes like, you know, 
these the, the things that he did in the sort of the last part of his life like that's the best you know that's the best stuff in utero is the best record it's the you know yeah I so. mean, I, I wonder a lot about what Kurt Cobain in 2015 would be like. It's a futile, it's a futile wonder, but you do think about it watching this movie. They'd be back. They, I think they'd be back. I think they would have, yeah. they would have gone through a period where they sucked and then they would have been back around. They would have come back around yeah. at some point. They would have been gone. They would have gone back in whenever the return of Steve Albini was, mm. you know, whenever mm-hmm. that came in the, in the arc. Right. You know, I think probably so what would happen is like, you know, I mean, it's, it's just weird to think about it though. And then the other, the other question that we have not addressed but that you know, you, there's no there's no Foo Fighters if if this you know if they don't if Nirvana does not end. Yeah, and Dave Grohl's not in the movie. Yeah, he's not in the movie, and officially it's because he the, they just couldn't get it together in time, and they I guess had a cut, and then they interviewed him, and it just they could they would the movie wouldn't really hang together without it. I wonder like I wonder if you could have made this movie without Talking Heads of any kind. Yeah, you totally could have. There's a great movie called Tarnation. Have you ever seen this? Yeah. Like, I mean, it, you you just bring all of this footage to life and yeah. tell a story that way. And I wonder if they could have done that because it does. It it, it it doesn't go on HBO though without the Talking Heads. No, exactly. It's an art film at that yeah. point, you know. Because I but I wonder about it, and it's like you know. But obviously, the other reason is that I don't think there's any love lost between Dave and Courtney over mm-hmm. this whole issue, and they've you know they've battled legally and sort of and, and come back i mean it is sort of ultimately even if it's even if he had final cut and everything and you read if you read the david you Frick mean story, brett morgan brett morgan yes. yeah um not dave obviously it, he's still you know he it, it, he was still working with somebody who has a vested interest and in like you know i can see like i don't know what it would have been like without it yeah yeah without that i mean you don't need you don't need courtney love she doesn't provide a whole lot in no, this, it's just movie. fascinating. Nor do his parents. I'm not her. beating up on Courtney. Nor do his no, parents. No, no, no. Or none like, of, none like, of the talking head stuff is really that interesting. It's like you just um, need it to sort of like flesh things out sometimes. Right, but you know, right. But the but the but the vultures and the carrion carrion lovers yeah. will will feast on on Courtney Love in this movie because she's in it. She's and, and she's and, really and in she's it. she's really in it, and she's she's self incriminating. She is incriminated. You know, it, it it is it is, but the movie is worth seeing. Um, it'll be on HBO next week. It is currently in theaters right now. Um, I believe it leaves theaters before it goes to HBO. It's it's called Kurt Cobain Montage of Heck, and um, for an hour, it's fantastic. And as a total experience, it is it's it's good. Um, we'll be right back with the jam of the week. talking about songs in the key of life and specifically about ordinary pain which was the one that i kind of really got into this this time revisiting made me think about uh, one of the most uh, kind of underrated i mean I, everyone who knows this record loves it but i feel like it's not I, i'm pretty sure it's out of print at this point the label that put it out is gone yeah, they've not really i don't think it's available in any kind of digital format or anything like that although it is on youtube a bunch of it and uh, Basehead from Washington D.C. Yeah, Michael Ivy and uh, assorted co-conspirators, kind of in a bunch of small dark rooms. This was the first 
I mean, emo rap is such a terrible way of talking. And about that's not. It, but th- yeah, I mean, they. But they. That's what. That's kind of what they were. This was the first um, time. I, this was the first time I'd heard anybody using this kind of production to tell these kinds of stories yeah. and have these kinds of conversations. I think this is a great jam because it splits the difference between for me I, yeah. I hear Nirvana in this and I hear Stevie Wonder yeah and it's pretty fantastic the record they called, were yeah the they record. were contemporaries in Nirvana yeah in 92 yeah. yeah it was reissued in 92 so it was out around that same time uh, the record's called play with toys you can probably find it it has a beer bottle on the cover Ivy went off and found God and uh, there's been some sort of half-hearted revivals and everything but there hasn't been the, the return I wonder I mean talk about people playing whole records Basehead could get out and play this whole play record play this whole record and yeah. like it would actually be amazing it it's just a really amazing it's an amazing thing because it's so it's such a lonely album made by one guy and yet it's such a conversation there's so many people sort of weighing in yeah. on the side no it's got like I mean De La Soul Liz Fair uh you know, tricky. I mean, there was a lot of stuff happening in this little neck of the woods in terms yeah. of production and ideas, like during that period. Um, anyway, that's our show. Yeah, and I want to just—the only thing um, I should shout out my friend Gabe Soria, who put this on in the car when we were driving around New Orleans at night <laughs> a few months ago during Thanksgiving. And he was—we were driving past Fat Domino's house, and then uh, we drove out and looked at the Mississippi River and listened to this record for a minute. Um, so, shout out to Gabe. Um, Shout out to Joe Fuentes. He's the in best. The booth. Shout out to David Jacoby, wherever he may be, in the clouds. In the cl- <laughs> he's in the clouds. He's up there. And uh, shout out to you, Wesley. This is crowded. Shout out nice. back to you. Always nice to see you in person. Um, nice to see you. We'll talk to you guys next week. You want to get some beers or something? I'm going to listen to the radio. The radio? Yeah, I want to see the radio. Man, I'm going to find some nice happy songs, you know, to make you think of something positive and stuff. Man, what's wrong with you, man? Don't get mad at me, my friend. Thank you for listening to Grantland. To hear more Grantland shows in your earballs, subscribe to Grantland Sports and Grantland Pop Culture on iTunes. Or go to grantland.com and click on podcasts.